Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Welcome to today's podcast. My name is Eric Lindborg, and I'm an active church member, and I also serve on the First Church Orlando Media and Communications Committee. Recently, Cameron Garrett joined the First Church Orlando Ministry staff as the Director of New Ministries and the Interim Director of Youth Ministry. Today, I'm joined by Cameron, and I'm excited to have the opportunity to spend some time today getting to know him and learning more about the plans he has for First Church Ministry and Youth. Cameron, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Eric. It's good to be here, man. I'm grateful to be at First Church. We are grateful and blessed to have you. So first, on behalf of the church, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me so we can share your story with others. We really appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. I love this. I This is one of my favorite things about ministry. One of the uh, draws to ministry is the opportunity to um, get to know people uh, on a deeper relational level. So yeah, I'm excited. Thanks for inviting me. You bet. Can't wait to connect further with you. So on that note, well, tell us a little bit more about you, maybe where you're from, your personal life, and what motivates you in life. Yeah. um, So I am originally from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, That's where the majority of my extended family still lives, sort of in the Northeast, uh, Maryland and Delaware and Pennsylvania. and sort of part of my myth, my like self narrative is uh, my grandma is Irish Catholic and she sort of had designs on my dad being the priest. Um, so my dad wow. has five other siblings. Yeah. Yeah. And um, as evidenced by my existence, my dad did not become a priest in the Catholic church. <laughs> um <laughs> but I think that there was sort of a strange seed that may have been planted in my grandma's preparation for my dad to be a priest. And and it's, yeah, the, the irony is that now she has a grandson um, who's pursuing ordination in a Protestant denomination. Um, and sort of how that came to be is my family moved to Florida in 2004 Um I was in the fifth grade and uh, we started going to Wellspring United Methodist Church in Tampa, Florida. Um, and my mom actually got a job at the church. Uh, and because mom worked at the church and dad worked full time after school, rather than going to an after school care program, I would often go hang out at the church. So I quickly became one of the staple youth group kids that was just at the church more often than not. Um, and I loved it. I felt like this church and that community was one of the first places where I really felt like I was allowed to be and in, not only allowed, but encouraged to be fully and entirely myself. And and that was significant to me because um, I've always been a little bit chatty. 
<laughs> and I've always loved to entertain. And sometimes that got me in trouble at school. Um, but at church, I was sort of celebrated for those things. Oh, that's um, awesome. And, that is so great. Yeah. Isn't that cool? I know, like, I, I, I think that it is pretty significant that my upbringing in church was was really, really, really positive. Um, you know, it's so I. I was just going to say it's 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 interesting that, you know, the the fact that you were allowed to be yourself and, and flourish at a time when uh many young men and women that are sort of going through that stage of their life try to do everything but be themselves. So how great that you were surrounded by love and a church that allowed you to to be yourself and grow into that. Yeah, and you know, I think I think that it's probably more difficult for some folks to feel like church could be a place where they would not only be accepted but flourish. Um, I know that there's this sort of movement at first church to um, affirm the LGBTQ community. And as a white straight man, there wasn't like my, my identity wasn't controversial. So although I was um, a chatty kid and an outgoing kid, and sometimes I got in trouble because I was too eager to entertain and less willing to sit in my seat. Um, it wasn't like I represented anything that was counter to the culture of the church that I existed in, you know? Right. Um, I think so. you do have to take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. But even for, even for someone like yourself or myself, like you said, you know, white, white male, fairly ordinary. Um, again, it's, it's, it's very easy to sort of have confines put on you and who you are and your personality, you know, at yeah. a time when you're richly developing. So it, again, I think it's just awesome that your church allowed you to be that way. Yeah, I agree. I, so I, I went to, sorry, I, I feel like I keep cutting you off, but I'm excited to tell the story. <laughs> You're here to talk. I'm here to listen. So you keep rolling Cameron. Yeah. So when I, I went to Camler School of Theology, that's where I went to seminary. And we studied this guy named James Fowler. And James Fowler was a theologian and a psychologist who produced this pretty significant work on faith development, which was essentially like, it was an idea that extended out of the field of psychology and studies of human development. And he says that people proceed along the lines of faith development. And I I found in in his description of adolescent faith development, my own story. So when I was in middle school and I first started going to youth group and I started going to mission trips, the first first of which was to Orlando, um, Hmm. interestingly enough. Yeah. I had I had what James Fowler would call an adolescent conversion experience, which is not uncommon. I think a lot of folks can identify with my story and that I felt like I had a religious experience at a, at a young age where I felt like I heard God and I felt God's presence and I felt God's call on my life. And so the very first time that I sort of felt this tug to ministry, I was 12, 13 years old on a mission wow. trip for the first time. Um, and that, that sort of experience is really the, one of the catalysts that propelled me to be at first church now in the year 2021. 
That's, uh, you know, it's, it's many of us um, had, you know, what I would agree, you know, an adolescent conversion experience, but um, I wasn't called to ministry and, and you were, and, uh, but you said it was sort of one of the first tugs uh, that, that sort of pulled you in that direction. What were some of the other things along the way that, um, that sort of build your confidence around, Hey, this is, this is really what I do want to do. I want to, I want to serve God in ministry. What were some of the other things that pushed you that way? Yeah. I, so there's, there's a theologian that I really love and was introduced to in seminary. His name's Howard Thurman. And he has this quote, I couldn't tell you where from, um, my Thurman professor would be disappointed that I couldn't identify exactly where the quote is from, but he said something along the lines of he felt like God had put a coal in his heart at birth and he was God's man from the beginning. Um, and I, that really, uh, that imagery um, and the feeling that I get when I hear that quote makes a lot of sense to me because um, I've sort of, it, it wasn't always uh, um, a comfortable feeling to feel called to ministry Mm. um sometimes i felt like i was haunted by it Mm. um and i was i was haunted by questions um that i didn't i didn't know that i was articulating questions about the problem of evil yet but i was i remember asking those questions when i was eight years old and and i those questions about god and god talk and going to church all of those things took up a lot of my um mental energy. And so like Thurman, I feel like God put a coal in my heart and I've been God's man mm. ever since I was um, young. Uh, to the degree that when I was in high school, my parents stopped going to church. Um, and that's a story that I'll let them tell. But when they okay. stopped going to church and they they stopped waking me up on Sunday mornings to go, I stopped going too. Um and it wasn't until I went to undergrad and I joined the Wesley Foundation at UNF that I sort of rediscovered mm. this calling that I've been that I had been nurturing for so long. And the questions that felt so poignant to me when I was 14 all of a sudden became the most important questions in the world again, you know. Um, so really, my it was my experience in undergrad. I, I was an English lit major and a philosophy major. And I worked for this campus ministry and all of those experiences amounted to me feeling like the next faithful step in my life was to explore ordained ministry and was to go to seminary to continue to pursue the questions that I had and also the relationship that I desired with God and in community. And that is awesome. We are, we are so fortunate to have you Cameron. And I think that the, the, story you told about um, your parents and, and, you know, not waking you up to go to church on Sunday morning. I'm, I'm sure that as you've um, led and, and ministered to youth, that um, that experience is, is really valuable in terms of your story and being able to relate to uh, kids who may be having similar circumstances at home. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, now that you've been around the church for a while, um, you know, what are some of the observations that 
excite you and and where do you think we as a church have opportunities to grow ministry as we're called to seek love and serve yeah that's a that's a really good question um so when i told i called bob bashong uh to let him know what i was looking for in a potential ministry gig and i expressed an interest in working at a church somewhere in a city um, I expressed an interest in uh, performing a role that would allow me to do some stuff around adult discipleship and discernment and vocational stuff. Um, and a week after I had that conversation with Bob, Vance stumbled into, he didn't stumble in, he walked into, <laughs> <laughs> he walked into Bob's office and he said, listen, I need somebody for this role that we're considering um, creating. And Bob said, funny enough, I just had a conversation with Cameron and oh Vance knew who I was and they gave me a call and I was here two weeks later. Um, Unbelievable. So the, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was really like it, it, it is as if God is real. Um, mm -hmm. Stuff aligned in such a way that this is another thing that Howard Thurman would say. Howard Thurman identified those moments of like when our life um, sort of seems to align with God's plan for our life. He calls those moments of synchronicity. And it felt like a moment of synchronicity. No doubt about it. Yeah, it's it's nice to yeah. have when you can when you can have a, a feeling in your heart and then it's bolded and underscored and then somebody smacks you in the head and says, Yep, that's right. <laughs> So yeah, like, okay, it's good. it is good. Because 99% of the time, I, I I don't think I'm alone in this, but I don't feel that way. You know, 99% of the time, I feel like I'm stumbling in the dark. So for these sorts of um, opportunities to come out of prayer and discernment and relationships that I already had, it's, it's just very, very, very cool. Awesome. Um, yeah. So at, since I've been at First Church, I've been delighted to discover um, this long history that First Church has, the relationship that First Church has to Orlando. Like when I came, I did not know that um, First Church was pivotal in the um, creation and organization of uh, companies dedicated to homelessness like iDignity and the Christian Service Center. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was all very exciting to me because in seminary, I, I, um, I sort of played the role of the idealistic young adult who's getting into ministry. And I've learned about theologies like liberation theology, um, which posits God's preferential option for the poor, mm. meaning that God strongly identifies with the disenfranchised and the marginalized and the oppressed. And that if there is, like, if Christianity does have a market cornered on anything, it is to be in relationship with folks who everybody else would prefer to not even look at, right? Um, so it was very, very, very cool to get to First Church and learn that we did have, we, we already have this relationship to uh, the homeless community or, in Orlando. Um, and that's something that I would like to continue to explore. How can we, um, 
how can we make our connection to organizations like iDignity and the Christian Service Center um, a little more apparent uh, and mm. strong and, and sort of resurrect our commitment to stuff like homelessness ministry? You know what I mean? I do. I love that. We should be loud and proud. It's a, it's certainly um, not a secret that that our church has really leaned into um you know, serving that community for a very, very long time. In fact, generationally, and the fact that we sit uh, in the downtown urban core, um, the opportunities to serve that community um, are literally endless. So I'm excited to hear your excitement in that area. Hey, I mentioned yeah, that we're, um, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to mention that you no, know, one you of the got- other cool things about uh, First Church, uh, you know, including our heritage and our history and our commitment to serving uh, the poor and those that are, you know, on sort of the fringes, is we are um, a truly multi-generational church in terms of who is active and, and who's in the church and who is serving. And so we've got this really cool um, opportunity, I think, to to learn from our elders, and our elders can learn from the youth, et cetera. So I'm just kind of curious as to some of your thoughts around ministry as you're thinking through some of the possibilities. How does that, what I think is a sort of unique characteristic of First Church, play into some of your plans? Yeah, you know, I think that the First Church the intergenerational reality of First Church is um, one that sort of exists in Protestantism more generally. So we have a generation of folks who grew up going to church, and it was a, a, a strong cultural commitment. Um, and, and the church was really the center of um our community's social life and and that has sort of shifted um and i know that i'm not saying anything new here but mm-hmm. um the the social locus of our culture and our community particularly in protestantism is not necessarily um in the sunday church mm-hmm. anymore um people do not feel like they need to go to church on Sunday mornings. You know, they they can do other stuff and they can be fed in other ways. Right. Yes. Um, so I think that what is happening right now um, in the church and specifically in the Protestant church um, is something like a third reformation. I think that the church is experiencing remarkable change because we are contextually experiencing remarkable change. And it is often historically in these moments of disruption, like um, the disruption that is experienced in the midst of a global pandemic, Mm. that ministry responds to the needs and the realities of people in new ways because they must, right? So part of my role is not to reinvent the wheel Mm. um, when we look for ministries at the church or how we can can connect um, 
young adults and youth to the older generation, how we can bridge intergenerational divides. My, my work is to see like, what sort of material do we already have at the church um, that we can play with um, so that youth can learn from older folks and older folks can learn from youth. Um, I know that, that that sounds very general, but I, I, I think that when I think about exciting new developments in ministry, I don't actually think about new stuff. I think about old stuff. I think about um, a, a burgeoning emphasis on the Trinity and how that mm-hmm. reflects um, a reality of God that is not necessarily static, but is rather dynamic, always moving, always in relationship, always becoming in relationship to the community and always responding to the community. Um, and practices like Lectio Divina, where we slowly read scripture, or practices like contemplative prayer, where rather than speaking to God, we attempt to listen to the still small voice of God inside of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of those new ministries are already happening at the church. We've got yoga on Tuesday. Um, we have uh, quiet prayer time on Wednesday and music and meditation on Thursdays, all of those happening at noon. And they're sort of leaning into this idea that uh, Church life does not just exist on Sunday. Church life exists every day of the week, right? Like our faith is a is a lived daily experience. I hope that makes sense. It totally does, and I and I love it because um, as I myself have sort of gone through the last year and a half, um, you know, everything has changed for all of us. And um, while I personally enjoy um, coming to church and worshiping on Sunday mornings, I also am fed spiritually in lots of different ways, um, you know, whether it's spending time with God outside, whether it's to your point, you know, quietly listening, um, you know, so I, I think that it's really cool that you, you've sort of established that as, hey, that's okay. In fact, this is uh, God moving right now amongst us, um, stirring some of these thoughts. So, with, with that in mind, what would you say to um, listeners or members of the church that uh, we do have a lot of tradition? In fact, we're steeped in tradition. It's one of the things that um, we all love about this church. What would you say to those that may be a little concerned about the changes that have already made and, and changes we will be making as we evolve as a church so where does that balance lie between sort of the traditional church and, and where God is taking us now? I, I would say first um, that there is something to be learned from our tradition's emphasis on community mm. that younger folks need to hear, that the spiritual life is not a life lived in isolation. And it's not necessarily um, something that belongs to you individually. It both does. And the only way in which a spiritual life can thrive is by being in community. Community is the end goal. When we talk about the kingdom of God, what we're talking about is beloved community, not beloved individual or beloved individualism, right? Now, does that mean that 
we need to conform to some external expectation of who we think we ought to be in community? No. And that's not even biblical. The apostle Paul didn't want Gentiles to become um, Jewish Christians. He wanted to be Gentile Christians. Why? Because um, we are only unified so long as we maintain our respective identities. That's the first thing I could, I would say. There is something from the younger generation to learn from the older generation's emphasis on community and being in community and growing in community and being dedicated to service to community. Mm. Like right now, if you look at the church and um, its financial resources, 99% of it isn't coming from the young folks in the church. And in part, that's because young people don't have the financial means to contribute as much as the older generations. But it's also because there is not a sense, there is not as strong a sense of dedication to the community, right? And I, I'm painting in broad strokes here, but no, um, but that's it's, sort of generally the case. It, it is, and you know, not that we're gonna, you yeah. know, dive into the church's finances, but certainly, you know, at a, at a macro level, you're absolutely right. Um, which is, you know, one of the one of the important things that. You know, we we teach the youth or you know the importance of giving and the fact that it is a form of worship, but it's it's part of more importantly to your point, part of being in community with one another. I, you know, one of the great challenges through the pandemic has been the inability to to gather in person on a regular basis and you know right. have enjoy that community. And I'm I'm so encouraged to see. You know, the yoga and midweek meditation and a lot of other activities that are coming back. But um, the reality is, uh, even without the pandemic, um, a large portion of our church uh, membership can't come out. Um, they're not able to. Right. And so so how how can we be in community uh, with those folks and how can we help them uh, experience the, the joy of Christ? That's really, that's such a good question. I think that um, if, if we've learned nothing from the pandemic, then we have learned the, that we need each other. And it's not just a conceptual need, but that we are deeply and concretely dependent upon one another. And I don't just mean like I depend upon um, the migrant farmer who pr- who farms the food that I buy at the supermarket, although I certainly do. I also mean that our spiritual lives and our mental health is dependent upon our community, being in relationship with people, being able to talk to people, not only being able to talk to people, um, but being able to be in person, in the flesh, be embodied human people mm. with other embodied human people. So how can we do that for the vulnerable amongst us who we can't put in peril by um, being with them in person? We can do things like write letters. We can do things like show up somehow with meals. We can call. I I know calling seems so insignificant, but I know that when I call my grandma, sometimes it makes her day, right? <laughs> Just by calling yeah. my grandma. Um, it, so it's a, I, yeah, Debbie, 
Debbie Mitchell would be an excellent person. If, if folks have questions about how they can get involved with care ministry for folks in our community who can't come in person just yet, Debbie Mitchell is a wonderful person to reach out to. Perfect. Thank you. And we can get Debbie's contact information off the website. Uh, it's there if you'd like to connect with Debbie. Thank you. Um, well, we're coming to the end of our time. So maybe for some fun, I know you are an avid reader and uh, I'm sure you've got a stack by your bedside now. So what are you reading? And uh, do you have any recommendations do, yeah. for our folks? Yeah, yeah. I, so right now I just, I literally just bought two days ago um, an author, an essayist, and professor. Her name is Maggie Nelson, and she produced a really popular book called The Argonauts a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, but more recently, she just, yeah, she just published this new book called On Freedom, Four Songs of Care and Constraint, and it's a collection of essays on this, like, really amorphous and indefinable um thing or reality that we call freedom and it, it's really 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 good awesome thank uh, you. So that's that's what i'm reading right now yeah can you give um, us the title and author one more time just so we all capture it yeah it's uh, maggie nelson and the title of the book is on freedom four songs of care and constraint awesome thank you for sharing that have to check it out. Yeah. So if and Eric, if I if I yeah. might, I I just wanted to briefly respond to your question about um, newness and its relationship to tradition, because uh, I'm not sure I really answered it. And I just want to say that like I'm not coming into the church with a revolutionary spirit where I want to subvert all of the things that exist in the church. <laughs> Right. That's that's not my role. My my role is rather to look and listen for the spirit in community and respond to the spirit in community. And more times than not, that looks like playing in and with the traditions and the ministries that already exist. Right. Love it. And I and I bet you there is a uh, a collective uh, sigh of relief with some of our listeners <laughs> because we do have a rich tradition, um, but there's so much that we can learn. No, thank you for, for circling back on that. So, yeah. Cameron, this has been awesome and we could do this for a long time, uh, but we're limited in time. But if 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 our members or listeners have ministry ideas or have questions for you or want to follow up on, on something that you mentioned uh, today on the podcast, what's a good way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, I would say shoot me an email. Um, so my email is, uh, it should be on the church website. I think that there was some complication with that a week ago, but uh, I think it's up correctly now. My email is my name, Cameron G., C-A-M-E-R-O-N-G at firstchurchorlando.org. Um, and, and I've already had coffee with you, Eric, and I expressed to you, and I think I expressed at the beginning of the podcast that that's one of my favorite things to do. So if anybody wants to get to know me a little bit better and wants to um, play with ideas that we might have for ministry, please reach out to me. I love doing that. That's my favorite thing to do in ministry. 
Fantastic. You can count on uh, coffee with me again if you're up for it. I, I enjoyed our time together. Oh, I, I would love that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Cameron, thank you so much for spending time with us today. And on behalf of First Church Orlando, we want to thank you for your time and your service and your dedication and the investment that you're making in our wonderful church. We're just so fortunate to have you. Oh, man, I'm fortunate to be here. Thanks, Eric. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.